I want to begin by just starting with a funny story. I'm not a joke teller. I love funny stories, though. And so this is kind of a funny story, but it's very, very relevant to all of our lives. And I'm sure uh, at least uh, one or two of you have experienced something like this. So evidently there's a young father, and he was in a supermarket, and he was pushing a shopping cart with his little son who was strapped in the front. Well, the little boy was fussing, and he was irritable, and he was crying. And the other shoppers who walked by gave the pair a wide berth because the child would pull cans off of the shelf and then he would basically throw them in and out of the cart. The father seemed very calm as he continued down each aisle, but he murmured to himself very gently, easy now, Donald, keep calm, Donald, steady boy, it's all right, Donald. Well, the mother who was passing by was greatly impressed by the young father's attentive attitude and self-control, and she said, you certainly know how to talk to an upset child, quietly and gently. And then bending down to the little boy, she said, what seems to be the trouble, Donald? Oh, no, the father said, he's Henry. I'm Donald. <laughs> Man, if you have been, if you've been in a shopping center or a supermarket with your young two-year-old, you know exactly what's going on here. And we all need a certain element of self-control to be able to manage this. Well, this morning we come basically to our end of our summer series on fructiferous living, if you will. We've been looking at a study of the, uh, of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And this morning we come to the end, and basically we're going to talk about this, self-control. Let me ask you, how are you doing in the area of self-control? you feel like you got a good grip on it? You know, a lot of times we think of self-control, we, we think of one thing. We think of one emotion, if you will. We think of, immediately we think of anger. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not an angry person. I'm, I, I'm in control of my anger. But as we're going to see, that the self-control involves so many areas of our life. It's not confined to one emotion. It's not confined to one thing. It's, it's broader. And if we don't have the, uh, uh, a control over our lives, over, over our emotions, our actions, our attitudes, listen, if you don't have control over your thoughts, let me ask you, what do you do in the recesses of, recesses of your mind and your heart when you're all alone and nobody is there to look after you. Do you feel like you have control over all things? And, and so what we have in Galatians chapter 5, we have this, 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 this challenge by Paul to employ the fruit of the Spirit, that he wants us to actually grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, John chapter 15 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you, you will bear fruit. And that, that's what we want to do. That's, that's been my goal. Is I, I want to bear fruit in, in a lot of these areas. I want to bear fruit in the idea of love. The greatest example of love is Jesus Christ and who he is. And the Bible says that we're to be imitators of God and live a life of love. And I want to demonstrate that. And sometimes I don't do that, but I need the Holy Spirit of God. Joy, the same thing. The ultimate joy that we find is, is in a relationship with Jesus. It's good news of great joy that I can have joy, even in the midst of difficulties and challenges. I can have great joy because of what the Spirit of God wants to do in my life. Peace. I can have peace with God. I can peace, have peace with other people blessed are the what the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God I, I, I want to be that sometimes I'm not a peacemaker sometimes it's a real challenge but I, I need the spirit of God what a patience do you find yourself to be a patient person waiting on 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 who God is and what he's done for your life the circumstances the people all the things that you can't control do you find yourself to be a patient person God exhibits incredible patience toward us what kindness of Jesus to repent what he's done for us. Now he loves us and cares for us. Things that he's done for us in our life. 
And, and what I want to do is, is hopefully I, I want to be a little kinder to my family and to my friends. What about the goodness? God is the, the ultimate source of all that is good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lives, with whom there is no variation of shifting of child. I can trust the nature and the character of God and know that. No matter where I find myself today, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how stinky my week might have been, God is good, and all things will work together for good to those who what? Who love God, that's why you're here, and those who are called according to His. God is good. What about His faithfulness? God is always faithful. He's always faithful. I'm not always faithful. I'm not always faithful, but God is always faithful. And what about gentleness? This idea of strength under control. The, the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus is He was absolutely strength. And we're to be like him. And, and so this morning we come to this virtue, this characteristic, if you will, of, of self-control. Uh, one woman reported how her daughter memorized the fruit of the Spirit in church. So she asked her daughter to recite them to her. And her daughter replied, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and remote control. <laughs> don't, don't we wish it was that easy? I'm just under remote control and whatever happens in my life, I'm going to respond in the right way. Beep, hit a button. Oh, it doesn't work that way, does it? So... So we're going to end this series on the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to be a good day. It's a great morning. It's a good day to be together. So let me just read our text, all right? I love God's Word. You love God's Word. Let me read our text. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Boy, I don't know about you when you read that, but that idea of self-control, to me, it kind of sticks out out there. It's kind of like, why, why is that there? Was, was God ever... Not under control? I don't think so, right? But there are times when I can be really kind of out of control. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm riding on, on the highway, and a car pulls over into my lane on my motorcycle. I really have to check my spirit. and I need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God in our life to exhibit self-control. So, Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that you love us so much that not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins, but you sent the very Spirit of God to live inside of us. And so when life is difficult and life is hard and I feel like life is, is just falling apart, you have ultimately given us a part of yourself so that we can live and be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we ask that through the Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, remind us of the, the wonderful virtues that we've been studying. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you went to the cross and that you invite us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you. So we ask that you would speak to us this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. So concluding this a wonderful description of the Spirit of God. We, we have this virtue, this characteristic, if you will, of self-control. And what I want to do is I, I, I want to remind us, in, in Galatians chapter 5, in Galatians, the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatian people, they were going through a lot of difficulties. They were going through a lot of problems. In some ways, they had abandoned the gospel. They, they, they were uh, being accused of, of taking on another gospel, if you will. There is no other gospel, but, but that's what was happening. And, and they were having struggles in their relationships with one another. So what, what Paul was ultimately reminding them is, listen, as you have received the spirit of promise, in other words, as you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, life, death, burial, and resurrection, as you've committed your life to him, what God did, God gave you the promise of the spirit. The spirit of God comes to live inside of you and to transform your life because you can't do it on the outside. I can do a lot of things on the outside, but, but ultimately change needs to come from the inside. And that's what the spirit of God wants to do. So Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 says this. 
Paul was reminding the people of the importance of the Spirit of God. He says this, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit inside of our lives reminds us that we are separated, that we are ultimately God's children, and we have the privilege of calling Him Abba, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, because He loves us and because He cares for us. And, and through the presence of the Spirit of God in our life, what he wants to do is ultimately the Spirit of God wants to transform us into the image of Jesus, and he wants to produce in us righteousness. I, I can't do those things on myself. There's no way that I can. But what the Spirit of God can do is the Spirit of God desires, Galatians chapter 5, verse 5, to produce in us a righteous way of living. And now because the Spirit of God lives inside of me, when you look at the broader context of, of this passage, we are called to live by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, verse 25. Framed in this passage is this idea that we need to live by the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 6, verse says that now we are to please the Spirit. Paul, writing to the people of Galatia, reminding them the wonder and the beauty of the Spirit of God in our lives and how we need the Spirit of God inside of us to help us in this area of self-control. I, I wonder if, when you look at all these virtues, this is probably the most important because we need the Spirit of God to help us in our daily life to wage war against the things that are going on in our world and our culture. And I think that's true from the text. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, notice what Paul, remember, put living in the Spirit, put it in the context of what Paul is going to write here. This is ugly stuff right here. This is what the sinful nature produces in our life. And Paul says, listen, don't do that stuff. It says this, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, and we tend to go through these and check them off. Oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, ouch, fits of rage, selfish ambition thrown in there. Do you ever feel selfishly ambitious in, in your life? Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And those words, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit God. In other words, the Spirit of God is designed to come into our life and to transform us and to deal with the acts of the sinful nature that we have a tendency at times, if we are not careful, to fall back into a pattern of sin. There's no doubt this is a very, very strong warning that the Spirit of God, the comforter, the teacher, the one who comes alongside of us, the paraclete, is designed to help us in our relationship with Jesus and to apply all of those wonderful other characteristics. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to walk through this text on self-control with a couple of questions. And, and here are the questions I want to look at. Number one is, uh, what is self-control? Number two um, why is it so important? Well, probably we could gather that. Three, why, why does Paul include self-control in this list? And finally, what's the application? You know, what are the, what's the takeaway? So let's begin with the first question. What is self-control? Well, if you look it up in the English dictionary, it says this. Self-control is defined as control of one's emotions, desires, impulses, and action. Okay, I got that. I need to be in control of my emotions, my actions, my desires. All those kinds of things. Well, the Bible, in, in the Greek text in our passage, the Bible has a simple understanding. It means this restraint of one's emotions, impulses, desires, and action. In other words, it has the broad idea, if you will, of getting to grip on ourselves. Get a grip on yourself. Were you ever told, maybe by your mom or your dad, or you were going through a really 
difficult time and maybe you were young and you couldn't control your emotions and well, just get a grip on yourself. That's kind of what he's talking here. Get a grip of your emotion. Get a grip of all that's going on in your life. And what's interesting is, is that definition presents us with, with a couple of issues. The first issue is this. There's a suggestion that there's going to be a potential problem, right? Control or restraint. I need control or restraint in my life. Not every emotion, not every action is wrong. What, it becomes wrong when I begin to cross a line and do something that I shouldn't do. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says that, what, be angry, but do not sin. In other words, anger is not wrong. It's when you cross the threshold and into, into an area where you're out of control that becomes difficult and becomes a challenge. And Paul knew about this. Paul knew about the struggle of sin. Romans chapter 7, if you go back and look at Romans chapter 7, Paul over and over talks about the struggle of the sinful nature in his life and how it impacted him. Romans chapter 7 verse 18 says this, I know, Paul wrote this, I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desi desire to do what is good, but I cannot do it. I mean, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like, oh, Lord, I want to do this, but I keep, I keep falling back or I keep doing these things that I don't want to do and I don't know why? It's because of that sinful nature that's inside of us. And maybe we don't love them the way that we should. We are not kind the way that we should. You ever see anybody out of control? Um, when I immediately thought of out being uh, a lack of self-control, my mind immediately went to Lou Pinella. He, he was a, a manager for a bunch of baseball teams. And whenever there was a call that went against the Seattle Mariners or the Chicago Cubs or a team, and he would come running from the dugout, and he would get right in the umpire's face. And he was yelling and screaming, and spit was coming from his mouth. And then if he didn't like that, he started kicking dinner or kicking dust on their feet. And then every once in a while, he would literally take up a base, and he would throw it. And all the people in the dugout were laughing at him. His family was embarrassed. Here, obviously, is an example of self a lack of self-control. And I think you and I, at times, we've done that before. We've kind of crossed the line in this issue of self-control. So the first issue is this idea that there's a problem, there's an issue that we need to be mindful of, be aware of. The second issue that we're confronted with here is an act of the will, that I am responsible for my actions. We are responsible. In the context of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, this context of self-control is a context of the sinful nature and all of those other things that come into our lives, that bombard our hearts, our minds, our souls, all of those things, and I need to be in control about of those things. I'm responsible for my actions. And, and I realize that if I'm responsible, then something needs to happen inside. I need the Spirit of God to help me in the midst of the difficulties and challenges of life. Maybe think about it this way. Um, sometimes we struggle with going to work, all right? I, I get that. We struggle to work. So we've got to go to work or we've got to go to school or we've, we've got to do something that maybe don't, we don't always want to do. But in those circumstances, there's an outside source that motivates us. If you don't go to work, well, they're either dock your pay or they can fire you. If, if you don't want to go to school, if you don't go to school, they can give you more assignments. They can, they can hold you after. So they can do a lot of different things. There's an external motivation to change your behavior or to act appropriately. But there's not an external motivation necessarily to go to church or to pray or to have daily devotions, or to stop and 
and to reflect on the nature and the character of who God is and to allow the Word of God with the Spirit of God to change us and trend. That's why we need self-control. It's an important characteristic to godly living. And you and I, we cannot do these things on ourselves. What we need is we need the Spirit of God to help me manage my emotions, my actions, the way that I treat my coworker. When I'm standing in front of that computer and that image or that song pops up. You know, maybe you're sitting and you're struggling with some stuff. You may be struggling with stuff that nobody in this room, the Bible says the Spirit of God comes along to convict us of our sin, to get us back moving in the right direction so that we can experience the life that God would have us. And we need this idea of self-control. Self-control is the ability to exercise restraint. Do I worry? So, so we don't throw that in there. Worry is not a good thing. Worry is actually... Am I out of control in the way that I worry, the way that I fret, to depression? You know, all of those things God wants to deal with, and he can deal with that, because the Spirit of God is much more powerful. He's been given inside of us to change and transform us. So the second question is, is why is it self-important? Well, there's no doubt because of all the things that I just mentioned that it's really, really important. But to the Greeks, it was important. What's interesting is this. When the Greeks would set up an image, when they would set up a statue, a lot of times the statue was created in perfect proportion. And so to them, self-control was the the proper balance of an individual or a person. Not just externally, but a proper balance on the inside. Aristotle, the philosopher, said this, I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies. For the hardest victory is the victory over sin. Think about what we've gone through and how people have struggled suicide rate and people are struggling they've lost relationships they've lost connections they lost all of these things and and they don't know how to they they don't know how to find the balance and life is difficult and challenging and when god says listen i i want to come alongside of you and i want to help you in the midst of these difficult things midst of these challenges of if we do not have self-control we can lose control of how we deal with our finances we can lose control how we uh deal with our thought life. We can lose control of a lot of different things. Spending habits, my physical and emotional self. But let me ask you this. Can I meddle a little bit? Is anyone here ever prone to overeating? Man, I had to check my... I'm still trying to get down. So I got about 10 more pounds to go. But what's sad is I just found myself overeating. I'm just eating for eating's sake. I'm eating way too much. Do we have self-control of the eating habits? And what about drinking habits and, and all of those other kinds of things? You see how this issue of self-control spills into so many areas of our life? And what we want to do is we want to be able to control those things for the glory and honor of God. Listen, if you were to do a tour of the Bible, you could see a lot of the people in the Bible had a difficult time at one point or another because of a lack of self-control. Samson, strongest man alive, what, he, can, he, could, he could kill a lion and he could kill a bear, but what, he, what couldn't he do? He couldn't control his passions. That's a great description. What about David? David, the great David, shipwrecked his life in such a way that he sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah. And probably one of the the tragic things about that is the way that it affected his kids. They both sexually with him. What about Saul? Saul couldn't, he was so jealous of David, he couldn't control himself. And he shipwrecked his life. And he shipwrecked his family. And what about Solomon, the wisest man, all of his wives and all of his conquests? 
he couldn't control this inner passion. And it says that these foreign wives came away from his... Proverbs chapter 28 says this, and it's an interesting verse about self-control. It says this, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Ancient cities could not survive without a wall. They were vulnerable to attack from all around. They needed the walls. You and I need the walls. A man whose walls are broken down is like a man who lacks. We need self-control in our life. What's interesting is this. There's a couple other instances where Paul uses the word self-control. And one of the times is actually in the book of Acts. And he's speaking, he's kind of under house arrest, and he's speaking to the Roman governor. And the Roman governor, Felix, wants an audience with him. So he's been kind of sent away, and then Felix brings him back. Felix, with his wife, Drusilla, brings him back, and they begin to have uh, questions to him. And Paul confronts him with the reality of the gospel in his life. And in Acts chapter 24, notice how Paul responds to Felix and the way that he uses this idea of self-control. Acts chapter 24, verse 25 says, Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess, knew about God's laws, God's ways. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. Felix was acquainted with the way. He knew about the way. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was, and he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Paul's words to Felix scared the lights out of him as he confronted him with the gospel. And if you notice, when he talks about the gospel, he talks about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. Why did that scare Felix to death? because he had actually lusted after Drusilla from the time that she was 14 years. And he basically stole her from another man. And Paul was confronting him with the way that he was living an unrighteous life in his actions toward Drusilla, who was a Jewish. He was confronting him with the reality of what it means to live a righteous life. You are living an adulterous life, and you are not in control of your passions. And it scared daylights out of, listen, living contrary to God's law, God's righteousness, is a possibility of us inviting judgment into our life. And so what we need is we need self-control because God ultimately wants the best for our lives and he wants to be in control of what's going on. So the third question is this, why does Paul include self-control in this list of virtues? Well, there's no doubt on a personal level we need that. I mean, I just gave you example after example of people shipwrecked their lives because of a lack of self-control. Every one of us, I would imagine every one of us in this room could look to a person, a circumstance, something similar to that, and see what a lack of self-control has done to a person. One of us, I can look back into my absolutely destroyed. So there's no doubt that there is a personal element to this. But there's also this, also a corporate element. Listen, sin isn't confined to my own life. David's sin wasn't confined to his own life. It affected his family. It affected other people. When I do things and I, and I exhibit a lack of self-control, almost all the time, it affects somebody else. And, and that's what was happening to the people of Galatia. Their lack of self-control was actually 
hurting the body of Christ, the family. Galatians chapter 5. Notice what Paul writes to these people. Again, in a broader context of life in the Spirit, notice what it says. Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. If you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out, you will be destroyed by each other. That is such a horrible description. Do you really want to bite, devour other people? Man, I sure don't. I don't want to think evil of other people. I don't want to say bad things about other people. I don't want to write things about other people. I don't want to get on social media and say bad things. I don't want to hide behind a computer and say bad things. There's a community element to self-control. And what we want to make sure that we're doing is we do not want to threaten the unity of the body of Christ through a lack of self-control. One man said something that I, that I thought was, was very appropriate in how uh, the, the personal self-control affects relationships. And I, and I just want to read it to you. Let me just read it. It says this. It says, if we can't say no to our own comfort and convenience, you'll never be able to serve another person. If you can't say no to our preferences or agendas or desires, you'll never be able to defer to one another. If we can't say no to our pride, we'll never be able to admit when we're wrong or to reveal what's really going on in our lives. If we can't say no to fear, we will never walk across the room to meet the stranger or come along someone in a season of grief or confront something difficult in my life. You see, we need to say no to ourselves in order to say yes to other things. This isn't easy times, but we need to have the capacity to do that. And in and of ourselves, we don't. We need the Spirit of God's help to come alongside of us and transform us. So real quickly... Where might we need self-control? I don't know how this affects you. I don't know how it affects you. I know how it affects me. Let me just real briefly walk through a couple of areas, and then I'll come to an application. Let me ask, how are your desires? Are your desires, the things that you want deep down inside, are they aligned with God's word? Are they aligned with God's will? Psalm 103, verse 3 says this, I will set before my eyes no vile What's changing what's going into your heart, mind, and soul? Or that are pulling you off to the side or not? Verse John chapter 2 says this, For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, does not come from the Father but from the world. Lust is this longing, that desire for things outside of the will of God. And are my design, desires and my longings and my passions, whatever they, are, are they aligned up with the word of God? Simple test. What about the way that we handle our money and our finances? Are they lined up with the will of God? Richard Foster said this, the lust for affluence in contemporary society has become psychotic. It has completely lost touch with reality. Am I hanging on to my finances, the things that has been entrusted to me, am I stewarding them in a way that honors God? Or am I going off the beaten path? Man, it's tough right now, isn't it? Money's tough right now. It's hard for a lot of people right now. And I need to exercise self-control with regard to my finance. Proverbs says this, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Why? Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord. Not to keep up with the children. Am I honoring the Lord with my finances? What about your ambition? The text Sinful nature talks about selfishness. What about the, the ambition? There's nothing wrong with having 
ambition in life. I, I came across this quote from a gal this week. Uh, her name is Leah Michelle. I think she's an actress. And I thought it was really interesting how she talks about her ambition and how it become out of balance. She says this, it was all about my career, she told Drew Barrymore. I've been so career focused my entire life, I think to a fault. The spring awakening star continued, I think I just had this sense of drive that created a lot of blind spots for me. In other words, her ambition created blind spots for her in all of the other areas. Of her life. If, if my ambition, the things that I want and desire, are they aligned up with the will of God and the word of God? Galatians chapter 5 says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions. Are my ambitions, my things lined up with the word of God and who would he would have for my, our desires, our finances, our ambition? What about eating and drinking? I already looked at that. Proverbs 23, with regard to what you drink, I thought this was kind of interesting. Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaint? Who had needs this bruises, who has bloodshot eyes, those who linger over wine and who go to sample bowls of mixed wine? We don't talk a lot about alcohol, but do we have control, self-control of the way that we eat and drink in life? Not just anger, what about anxiety, what about worry, what about fear? Those are all emotions. Are, are those under the control of the Holy Spirit of God? I mean, I'll admit I get fearful at times. I get a little emotional at times. Proverbs 29, verse 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And I believe what you could do, you could apply that to other emotions. I'm not going overboard in my worry, in my care. My, I have them under control. And what about this? What about your speech? Not just your speech, but the words that you communicate to other people. Not just the things that you say, but the things that you write. Maybe on social media. Are all of those things under control? Or are we just waiting to pounce on another person? Proverbs 12 says this, Reckless words pierce the heart like the reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings. I sure want to be a person that brings healing to other people through the use of my words, my speech, my conduct, the way that I would respond in hopefully a way that's led by the Holy Spirit of God. So what I want to do is I, I, I want to just leave us with some points of application. Consider the life of Jesus in the area of self-control. Consider the way that he lived his life. All the circumstances, all the situations, all the people that came out demanding it. Think about the, the toil of his life, the difficulty of his life. Think about him going to the cross. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Think about him going to the cross to suffer on the cross for our sins, for my sins, for your sins. Think about him and the choices that he made and living under the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God leading him into the wilderness, the Spirit of God anointing him for service, the Spirit of God speaking through him, the Spirit of God working in his life, empowering the last days of his life to walk into Jerusalem, offer himself as a sacrifice for you and I need the Spirit of God in our life. Okay, so let me just give you a couple points of application, you know. Let me just, a couple points of application. Number one, if you are struggling with some area of self-control in life, admit it. Admit it. Admit that you have an area of concern that you... Galatians chapter 6 verse 4 says this, each one of you should test his own actions. In other words... I need to just do a self-examination. Maybe I need to stop. Maybe I need to allow the Spirit of God, the comforter, the truth speaker and seeker in my life to come along and point me to areas that I might need to change. Admit that there's an area. Second thing is this. Yield. Yield to the Lordship of Christ. Yield to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. Live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful man. The, the power of sin has been broken in our life. 
Galatians talks about that I am crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live in the flesh, I live by power in the Spirit of God who lives inside of my life. He transforms. Admit, yield. Number three is this. Take some intentional steps. If there's an area in your life, take some intentional steps to make a change. Paul said this in, in uh, verse 28. Keep in step with the Spirit. The way, the, what that means is, is to align yourselves in kind of battle formation. Keep in step. There's a battle out there. We talked about that battle. There's, there's a battle out there. And I want to keep and make some intentional steps in order to walk according to the way that God would, would want me to walk. The Bible actually says to, to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's okay to do that. It's okay to work hard on my spiritual life to change and transform me on the inside. Admit, yield, take some intentional steps. Four is cultivate a relationship with the Lord through prayer and through the Bible. What are you sowing in your life right now that you're going to reap? It's going to happen. If you're sowing to the flesh, you're going to reap to the flesh. That's a Galatians. If, if I'm sowing to the Spirit, notice what Galatians chapter 6 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his simple nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let's sow seeds to the Spirit of God. In our life. Let's cultivate that relationship with one another. And the last thing I leave you with is, if you need help, don't alone. Don't do it alone. Have the courage, self-control to go to another pe person and say, listen, I, I, there is this burden in my life and I, I need some help. Will you help me please? Galatians says this, carry each other, carry each other's burden and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We need the resource of the Spirit of God in our life, the Spirit of truth to convict us, to teach us, to train us, to move us in the right direction. But God also uses other people to help us in areas. Listen, if you're struggling with something on the inside, if you're struggling in an area where you're, where you're going to places you shouldn't be going, you're sowing things that you ask. I implore you to do today is get some help. Be aligned with what the Spirit of God ultimately wants to do. Listen, not perfect, but the righteous life that God desires. Galatians 5, that's what the Spirit of God wants to produce. Father, I, I thank you for the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. Some people call this Holy Spirit, the forgotten God. Lord, we come to you this morning, our Heavenly Father, and we ask that you would guide and direct us. So we, we come to you, Lord Jesus, and ask that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross, and align ourselves to you. And Holy Spirit, we come to you to confess our sin and to ask that you would work in and through our lives to transform us ultimately into the image of Jesus. Father, we ask for your help, and we thank you that you've not left us alone, but you've given us the Spirit of God to ultimately, and I ask all of these things.